0: These are available in the gift shop downstairs if you'd like a set. (laughs) Okay, well, today, Lord willing, we finish Acts. And so, if you will, turn in a copy of God's Word to Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28. Um, Next week, we will, Lord willing, look at uh, 2 uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy is Paul's last letter he writes... So we'll finish Acts today. It ends on a cliffhanger. Uh, actually, there, it ends, uh, we want more, uh, we want it to be settled. We, we want more closure, but it, it doesn't give it to us. And so we will finish next week with 2 Timothy chapter 4 as we talk about the end of Paul's life uh, and what he's going to write right before he is executed. Um, and then after that, after some topical stuff, probably uh, we'll head into Genesis and look at the life of Abraham. Uh, But today we look at Acts chapter 28, starting at verse 17. Hear now the word of the Lord. "'After three days he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, "'Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, "'yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. "'When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, "'because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case.' But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, "'We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you and what your views are, for with regard to the sect we know that everywhere it is spoken against.' When they had appointed a day for Him, they came to Him at His lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening He expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what He said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear... proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we need your word and we're thankful for the gift of it. Would you, O Lord, please, by your Holy Spirit, grant us unction and anointing. Help us by your Holy Spirit. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen. After the Second World War was over... Uh, The Allies held a series of war crime tribunals to prosecute those who had done unspeakable things. There was a series in Japan. In fact, um, Mr. Burke Campbell uh, was one who guarded uh, the the prisoners in those trials in Japan. Uh, But there was another set in Nuremberg, uh, Germany. And In Nuremberg, Germany, there was a very fervent American chaplain who had been appointed by the U.S. Army to minister to the souls of these exceedingly evil men. Very evil men, right? Now, a lot of people, a lot of those prisoners had no desire to talk about spiritual things, but one in particular, a really important guy, he did. His name was Field Marshal Wilhelm Keitel, Keitel was not just any general, he was over the entire German army. Did you know that before he died at the gallows, he became a Christian? Here was this enemy, this American, he was his enemy, this enemy army chaplain whom the Lord used to convert this terrible, evil guy right before he died. Praise God. If we go back to a different prison, over 1,800 years ago, almost 1,900 years, to A.D. 58, we find another prisoner in chains, and he's facing the possibility of execution. His name was Paul. It's Kind of like he was the chaplain. We have to ask who was the prisoner. Was he the prisoner or the Roman soldier... Shackled to Paul's hand. Can you imagine yourself as one of those Roman soldiers shackled to Paul in four-hour rotations? There were a lot that would have guarded him in his two years of house arrest in Rome. You know, the way that they kept the, um, the Nazi war criminals running away or doing something bad, they actually had a guard posted outside the cell who watched them 24-7. The Romans just chained a soldier to the prisoner. I bet that soldier had done many guard duty assignments in the past, but, but no prisoner had ever acted like Paul. A lot of their prisoners were probably really bad dudes, like Keitel was, the German field marshal. And I bet each one of those really bad dudes back in Rome had to be corrected by the guard, right? Right? Perhaps they were undone by the fact that they were soon potentially to face uh, execution. But but not Paul. Didn't Paul know that prisoners were meant to grovel and to be terrified and even attempt to uh, bribe the guard or kill him or try to run away? Didn't Paul know that's how you're supposed to act when you're a prisoner of the Romans? But in the midst of his great trial, what was on Paul's mind? What would have been on your mind? As you're awaiting an appeal to see, you don't know when it's going to come, you don't know what it's going to say, it's either going to mean freedom or immediate death by beheading. What would have been on your mind? What are the things you would concentrate on? You know what was on Paul's mind? mind? Jesus and getting the gospel out. I wonder, do we use our hard seasons, our trials? This was a hard season for Paul. We're not going to gloss over the fact. This was a a real um, struggle, right? Paul used his trial to minister to others. Do, I wonder, do we do that? See, Paul knew something that we often forget, that Jesus has won. And His church will continue to grow until He returns to the Day of Judgment. What was going on with Paul? Well, he's just arrived in Rome as a prisoner for the gospel... He made a pit stop, unscheduled for him at least, over in Malta after being shipwrecked, where God used him over a three-month period to bring revival to that uh, small island. But once the weather was right, his journey to Rome continued. He's been a prisoner at this point two years already. He will spend another two years waiting his appeal before Caesar. The Jews in Jerusalem had tried to kill him several times. And so as a Roman citizen, he had used his right to appeal uh, to Caesar... Uh, in order basically to stay alive and God used that to get him to Rome to testify about Jesus. You know, perhaps because he was a Roman citizen or because the centurion Julius who had guarded him vouched for him, Paul was not confined to the often Roman prisons, which was a good thing because most people died in those things. They're basically a pit, an open sewer, and they, they threw you down there and if you had friends they'd come feed you. And if you had enough food you'd survive. If not you'd die. It was a bad thing. So Paul was under house arrest in a rented home until he waited until Nero would hear him. But it wasn't as bad as it could have been. It was bad, but um, it would have been easy for Paul to be filled with self-pity, wouldn't it? To play the victim card, to stay reserved, or just simply be self-consumed. That's, that's often how I handle things when hard times come, don't, don't you? Luther called this navel-gazing. Navel-gazing, if you look at your belly, you can't look at anything else. Right? You can't see anything else. You can't see Jesus, you can't see those around you. That's not how Paul acts here. <laughs> right? I mean, those those poor soldiers, they didn't stand a chance. Where was his focus? It was on Jesus. To understand a little bit of Paul's perspective, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you have a Bible, it's in your in the pew in front of you. And while you turn there to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Let me say that 2 Timothy, which we'll look at next week, is the last of Paul's letters written to Timothy while he was imprisoned at a later time. Paul's going to be released, and he's going to do some more ministry, and then he's going to be re-imprisoned in a Roman, uh, Roman jail, and this time in squalid conditions, basically in a hole in the ground, and he will be beheaded. And so Paul is writing his last letter that we have, 2 Timothy. What's on his mind? What did he tell Timothy about his situation? Verse 8 of 2 Timothy chapter 2. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with the chains of a criminal. But the Word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also attain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I love those words he starts out with. Remember, remember Jesus Christ. He was bound and he was suffering as a criminal in far worse situations than he is now in our text. But the Word of God was not bound. And he was still willing to endure this and more that the gospel might go out. When the U.S. Army approached um, Army Chaplain Henry uh, Garricky about ministering to the war criminals facing trial... At first, he was pretty hesitant. Wouldn't you be? Uh, Keitel had written, I mean, he had, he had rubber-stamped Hitler's orders that would have involved the killing of at least 11 million people. Uh, civilians. 11 million civilians. 11 million. That's, what, over two times the population of our state. In fact, when they approached him, he had just visited one of the Nazi concentration camps and seen firsthand how all this happened. They came to him and said, hey, will you please come minister to these people? How easy it would have been to feel righteously indignant to let them face the day of judgment without hearing the good news. We know that's the wrong attitude. But he had seen stuff. But this is what he would write later. "...the next few days I prayed harder than I ever had in my life. Slowly the men at Nuremberg became to me just lost souls whom I was being asked to help, if, as if never before, I could hate the sin but love the sinner." And so he went. And he ministered to those who were condemned to be hanged at a time they did not know. They would wake him up and tell them it was the day of their execution. The Garakies seemed to have had the same mindset as Paul. So what does Paul do when he gets to Rome? When well, his missionary journeys, he first would go usually to the synagogue. Well, he would always go to the synagogue if there was one to preach to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. But he is what we'd call providentially hindered, right? There's this guard that's chained to him. He can't do that. And so he sends for the leaders of the synagogues and... Uh, and they come. At this point, there are about 40,000 Jews living in Rome. There are at least 10 really well-known synagogues in the city. Uh, and so it seems that leaders from each one of these synagogues, that they come to Paul. What a great opportunity, right? We see this in verses 17 through 22. Now, Paul needs to ascertain from them what they know about his situation. He kind of He's trying to figure out the lay of the land. In fact, Nero, the, the Roman emperor, who's at this point... Not good, but not as bad as he will be. Uh, He he becomes unhinged later, uh, which will lead to Paul's execution and his second imprisonment. Uh, Nero had actually married a Jew. And so he needed to know if word had come from Jerusalem, what had happened to him, uh, it would have gotten to Nero's wife. And so it would be good to know kind of where he stands in all this. So he's trying to figure it out. He's very diplomatic in what he says. Notice he uses words like brothers or our people, our fathers, my nation. He even says in verse 19 that he didn't have anything against the Jews. He wasn't going to go before Nero and say all these bad things about the Jews to get them in trouble. He wasn't looking to stir the pot. He just was trying to figure out what they had heard. How easy would it have been for Paul to lash out at those who had imprisoned him, persecuted him, tried to kill him three times, wanted to see him executed, But Paul's focus is not on himself in the trial, but rather how he could use his trial for Christ and His glory. Now here's what makes it another thing we should note about his trial uh, this season is that he didn't know how long it was going to last. Aren't those the hardest to go through when they're open-ended? He didn't know how it was going to last. How long it going to last? It could be short, it could be long, and, and it could be tomorrow he'd appear before Nero. It ended up being at least two years before he did. But what did he focus on? Christ and His glory. He would put the interests of others before His own, something that you read about in another letter he wrote from a Roman prison, this prison, Philippians chapter 2. Well, the Jewish leaders say they hadn't heard anything, but they'd heard a lot about Christianity, which you'll learn about from verse twenty. They call it a, 22. They called it a sect. They understand Paul's a Christian because he uses a really important phrase. He he talks about the hope of Israel in verse 20. Verse 20 we read, "...since it is because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain." Well, to us, hope of Israel is like, what, what does that even mean? To the Jews of that day, it was really clear. The hope of Israel was the Messiah, was the Christ who was to come the one who would make everything right, who would, uh, who would bring about God's kingdom. And Paul says, look, I'm in jail because of the hope of Israel. Paul's saying, look, I, I believe he's come. Now, at this point, they want to know more. You know, isn't it great sometimes when God gives you a softball uh, to tell people about Jesus? We don't always take it, though, do we? You know, someone as a preacher, someone once said, hey, can I come to your church? Well, yeah, right? I love those kind of questions. Or some say, hey, what do you believe? Oh, I can't wait to tell you, right? That's what happens here. Paul baits the hook. He says, I'm in prison because of the hope of the gospel. What do they say? But we desire to hear from you what your views are. As we return to our story about the Nuremberg uh, war crimes trials, this is what happened to Chaplain Garricky. When Chaplain Garricky first met this terrible, evil man, Field Marshal Keitel, do you know what Keitel was doing? Reading his Bible. Preacher walks in, someone's reading the Bible, You say, I got this thing, yeah, I know what we're about to do. We're about to talk about Jesus. And that's exactly what happened. They ended up having a devotion right there in Keitel's prison cell. What an opportunity for Garricky, the chaplain, to talk to one of the worst men on the face of the earth. What an opportunity for Paul. They appointed a day, and this time even more leaders came to his rented quarters. What an opportunity for Paul to share the gospel, who would lead the synagogues. If some of them became believers, which some of them do, they would return to their synagogues and tell others about the Jewish Messiah. His name is Jesus. He is come, and you should believe in Him for salvation. What a great opportunity. So they appointed a day, and a lot of folks come. It's a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Verse 23, we read... When they appointed a day for Him, they came to Him at His lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening. You think I preach a long time? From morning to evening. There are three words here. Focus, notice these. He expounded to them. Next word, testifying to them. Third, and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and the prophets. This man is bent on soul winning trying to convince them about Jesus from the law and the prophets. Law and the prophets, that's referring to the Old Testament. Now, what did Paul preach? Let's be real clear what he didn't preach. He didn't preach social justice. He didn't preach environmentalism. He didn't preach a, use a PowerPoint. He didn't have a fog machine. He didn't have a flashy presentation. He didn't have a therapeutic advice for him. He wasn't concerned about winning friends and influencing people. He didn't seek to tickle their ears. He didn't want them to feel better about themselves. He he didn't give them five steps to successful living. He didn't try to uh, trick them with a bait and switch. He wasn't looking for their money, their political favor, or even their approval. He simply preached Jesus. And that's our hope. That's our hope. Jesus died for sinners like you and me and William Keitel and the guards and Paul. He preached that salvation is simply through Jesus Christ alone. He had these people potentially for one day, a limited time, and he had to, man, he just had to put it where the goats could eat it. This is what, what kind of burden God gave this army chaplain, Garricky with these Nazi war criminals. Once he did business with God in his own soul that, okay, I've got to minister these folks, they need you, help me. right? These men had a date with the gallows, the hangman's noose. None of the accused knew the time of their death, the day of their death. So time was limited. And He labored hard, hard for them to repent of their sins and put their faith in Christ Jesus. Their hands were filthy with the blood of millions of people. But the blood of Jesus Christ was stronger. And through the blood of Jesus Christ they could be forgiven of the terrible, heinous things they had done. And so can we. See, they had a date with the grave, and so do we. And we, like they, didn't and don't know the day or hour. And that's the truth of everyone we come into contact with. Will we be ready? Six funerals I've done this summer. Verse 23 says that Paul was seeking to win souls. He was trying to convince them to persuade them of what? 1 Timothy 1.15 puts it real clearly, Paul's simple gospel message. This saying is, is trustworthy in observing of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. See, the German war criminals needed to hear that Jesus Christ had come into the world to save the worst of sinners, people like you and me. The Jewish leadership needed to hear that. They weren't all that different. Different contexts, different centuries, different sins, same guilt before God. We need to hear it. Our friends need to hear it. You think about this, Paul used his trial to do ministry. And so how many times do I say, man, when things calm down, I'm going to... When his life ever calmed down? It's called heaven, right? And I'm not there yet. And if we wait until there are no trials, no hardships, no distractions, then we will never tell others about the Lord. I'm really good at making excuses. Are you? I'm so good. What happens next? Verse 24 tells us, And some were convinced by what he said, Paul, and others disbelieved. There was revival right there when Paul was under house arrest. There he is, chained to the Roman guard. I wonder what the Roman guard was doing when Paul was gesticulating with his hands up and down and around and that that guard's arm was going with him. And as they changed from one guard to the next, four hour shifts, several guards got to hear Paul. Maybe that guard became a Christian too. I don't know. But some of the Jewish leaders were persuaded, trusted in Christ for salvation, and they were saved. Praise be to God. And that's what happened in Nuremberg as well. Chaplain Garricky he said in 1951, writing, he said, more than half... Okay, I want you to hear that. More than half. How did we not know this by now? I I never heard this before. More than half of the Nazis there, before going to the gallows, or their long imprisonment at Spandau, that was their bad prison they went to, asked God for forgiveness for their sins against Him and humanity and return to the Christian faiths of their forebears. Now this chaplain was a strong, conservative, evangelical. So when he says half of them became Christians, he's not just trying to pad the numbers. One of them was Field Marshal William Keitel who had on his hands the blood of millions. He broke down once, crying in his cell, confessing his, confessing his sins to God as Gerakie watched and listened. What an amazing story of the gospel. We should also remember that Paul and Keitel, they weren't all that different. Paul had been a religious terrorist Persecuting Christians all over, dragging them to imprisonment and death before Christ got a hold of him Has Christ got a hold of you. Which half of those at Nuremberg will you be like? Those who trusted Christ or those... Or in this passage it says they disbelieved in Jesus in verse 29, 24. That's an active word, disbelieved. It comes down to what we believe. That is the determining factor of where we will spend eternity, in heaven or hell. We love John 3.16. Praise God for it, for, uh, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever should believe in Him should not perish. I was talking about hell, perish in hell. Should not perish but have everlasting life. Fantastic message of the gospel. John 3.18, two verses later, says something that sometimes we like to forget. Whoever believes in Him, in Christ, is not condemned. Praise God. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. The Holy Spirit must make us born again if we are to believe. And that's what happened to so many of those Jews there in Paul's uh, house arrest, in, in his house. And that's what happened to so many of those Nazi war criminals, even Keitel, who still was executed for his tr- just atrocities. But upon his death, He was ushered immediately into the presence of God. Not because he was a good guy. History will tell you he was not not a good guy. But neither you and I. He was ushered into the presence of God. Jesus came and got him, his dear beloved son, Wilhelm Keitel, because he had been covered in the blood of Jesus. Well, the next day, the day breaks up and with Paul and a bunch of, bunch of them are arguing against each other. Uh, and it all comes down to something that Paul says in verses 26 to 28, where he's going to quote Isaiah chapter 6, uh, passing judgment upon them because of their disbelief in God. They had hardened their hearts against God. And now Paul, using Isaiah, says that, you know what? You're hearing, but you don't hear. Verse 26, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. Did you know hearing the Word of God always has one impact or the other upon the hearer? Either it draws you closer to Jesus or further away from Jesus. It's a dangerous thing to to sit under the preaching of God's Word. It's going to have an impact one way or the other. Not all those who met with Chaplain Garricky became Christians. Many went to their deaths condemned not just by the law of man, but also the law of God. One of them was Reichsmarshal Hermann Goering, who was second in power only to Hitler. He was a really bad dude. Did you know he pretended for a while? He would go to the chapel services and he'd say all the right things. Then Later he would tell one of the other guards, Yeah, I'm just going to get out of my cell. He did the pretending religious thing. There's so much of that in our culture, isn't there? And he died. Well, Paul would spend the next two years under house arrest at his own expense, chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day. But while he was chained, the gospel was not. It was not bound. He preached with all boldness, and I love this text. It says, without hindrance. He was chained to a Roman guard the whole time, and yet he preached (laughs) without hindrance. We know that Paul had an amazing impact, an amazing ministry there, as we talked about with the, with the youngins. that the whole imperial guard, the whole imperial guard, those guards left and told other guards about it. There's this really crazy dude, and all he keeps talking about is this guy who died for our sins and then rose on the third day. I can't believe it. I can't wake up to back tomorrow. <laughs> Did you know that Jesus and his church win? So uh, It's so hard to remember this, Right? And so when we when I when I get to to navel gazing, I forget that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. I forget that in the midst of, of all the turmoil of living in our century, with things changing, with raising kids, with having a job, with with having um, you know I mean going through relationships, we have so many things to distract us. We forget the big picture that Jesus has and will win. And the church is going forth when we read in Matthew 16 that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. It's not talking about hell coming at the church. It's the church going towards the, uh, the people of hell. It's talking about the gospel going forth throughout the world. Sometimes it takes the blood of martyrs. Sometimes it takes people like Paul in prison church father once said the seed of the church is the blood of the martyrs the big picture is that Jesus wins and sometimes it's hard to forget that hard to remember that rather in our in our culture as you know modern evangelicalism in America is, is, uh has some troubles right as people move away from the, the Word of God but, but let me tell you about people in Africa in Asia in South America who are becoming Christians by the thousands each day. In just one country, the country of Uganda and the Presbyterian Church of Uganda, more people become believers in a day than they do in our denomination in a year. It's not good for us. It's great for them. People are becoming Christians in droves. People are being added to the roles of God's people daily. There's power in the message of the gospel of Christ, not just overseas, but here in Bruton, Alabama, in your life. Do you know this? Has Jesus gotten a hold of you? For the believers, let me tell you, I'm going to close by introducing also our final hymn, which is called Facing a Task Unfinished. We've sung it before at a missions conference. It's talking about missions, that we face a task unfinished. Acts ends abruptly, right? It just ends. There's no closure. And that's because the story is not finished. Jesus hadn't come back yet. And we're about, we are to be about His business, about His mission of seeing men and women, boys and girls coming to know Jesus and having their eternities change forever. That's our business. As we live in all the spheres of home, of work, of life, of play, wherever we are, See, Paul was used by God to reach prison guards, to reach these Jews. And then God used Gerache to save these terrible Nazis. May the Lord use us and Bruton through your ministry. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news of Jesus. That because of what Christ has done, we can be saved. We thank you that uh, that you forgive Nazi war criminals. That you forgive religious pretenders. That you forgive us, all those who come to you seeking forgiveness and salvation. Oh Lord, I pray for those who may not know you today, that they might know you. This might be the day of their salvation. And Father, for those of us who do know you, give us a a greater zeal to see the lost, saved. That we would use our trials for your glory. That you would bring revival to our community. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our final hymn, Facing a Task Unfinished. Uh, You you may not know the words, but you do know the tune. You do know the tune. Uh, So let's stand and sing.